I've got jewels on the brain. Jewels on the brain. It's like water on the brain, but it's uh, jewels, watery jewels. Jewels filled with water. And, uh, you know, I used the example yesterday of Indra's net, this net made up of jewels. But I also mentioned jewel and the, the burning bush synchronicity. And the song I was referring to, the jewel song, it turned out to be, I think, a 2009 jewel song. And uh, it it's called Standing Still, and the lyric is, there's a burning bush to my right. And, of course, it would be on your right. You know, of course, the burning bush is part of a, a right-hand path and not the left-hand path. And here we are, analyzing jewel lyrics, 2020. Welcome to 2020, where we analyze jewel lyrics, and not just any jewel lyrics, 2009 jewel. But uh, thinking about the idea of jewels, and of course that word is going to, it's going to reach the point if I use it too much where I don't even know what it means anymore. Uh, but so much of what we do is this pursuit of jewels. We are constantly in pursuit of jewels. And it's something you see in a lot of niche interests. I mean, it's something everybody does, but it's very apparent within niche interests. You see it in music a lot, where somebody is constantly looking for that next high. They're digging, they're hunting, they're looking for that next thing. And some people are really good at that. Some people are really good at finding things, obscure things, finding the new thing. And it's something that even growing up you become aware of. It, you know, I, growing up you used to hear, you know, people uh, get upset when a band would become popular. You know, I, I knew about Blink-182 before before uh, Enema of the State came out. I knew about Blink-182s when uh, Dude Ranch came out. And now that everybody's now that everybody in my grade, my grade, is listening to it, I can't like it no more. You know, and and people are very aware of that sort of mentality, and I'm guilty of that in my own way for sure. And it's especially apparent with music for whatever reason. And I think it's one of the reasons why I'm as critical as I am of music fans being one myself and knowing this sort of feeling. And there's this hunt for the next jewel and when you find that jewel there's this tendency to be like why doesn't everybody appreciate this you know why isn't every why doesn't this get more credit why doesn't this obscure band who only released a demo get more credit for what they did you know why do, why not and then next thing you know it's reissued that demo gets reissued and now it's widely available and people do start giving it credit they're like oh hey it's a now it's a jewel for them you know you might you might have been at the head of the pack for that hunt and you didn't realize that the pack was right behind you and for them that's a jewel they think they've found a jewel and that jewel becomes less important to you that jewel turns into water slipping through your fingers that happens, and uh, you shouldn't feel bad about it, but you should be aware of that sensation of, you know, this is mine. There's this ownership. Even though you didn't create it, even though you, something made it available to you on your hunt, you dug in the right spot. So somebody placed it there. Somebody placed it in that spot. Somebody buried it, maybe, 
or maybe just time and erosion buried it, but it was put there by somebody else, yet you feel this ownership of this thing, and in your first thought when you find it, when it gets you high, when this new jewel is getting you high, you have this tendency to think, why doesn't everybody like it? Why isn't everybody going crazy over this? I have, uh, I'm the only one who sees the beauty in this thing. And then when other people do see the beauty, there's this tendency to be like, why was the first? I was the first, okay? There's this tendency to think that way. And, or even to let go entirely and say, you know what? I don't like that all these other people are paying attention to this jewel that I found. So I'm, I don't like it anymore. I don't even like it. And there's something to saturation. There's something to overexposure. And it shows you that our interests in things aren't just about the thing itself. Even though the thing itself could be beautiful, even though the music itself could be wonderful, there's something about the total experience, including how much, it's, how much exposure this thing has. You know, there are these intangible factors, and maybe they're not even intangible, because, you know, you know what happens when... You know what's happening, I guess. So it's not very intangible because it's like, oh, now a bunch of people are talking about this thing that was my special thing. And I can't like it anymore. I can't talk about it. And if I do talk about it, I have to make sure everybody knows I was the first. Even though you weren't the first. You know, even though you weren't necessarily, you just thought you were. And you see this a lot with music, you see this a lot with, I mean, probably to some degree, art. I mean, ex exclusivity is a major part of people's interest in things. And the more collector-minded, the more niche it is, I, I feel like the more likely you are to find that. But people do it even at the most mainstream level. You know, I made the joke about Blink-182. It's like Dude Ranch was a, a hugely popular album. Dude Ranch was a, a very popular album. I think they had a couple music videos for that album. And then Enema of the State came out and, and took them, you know, a little bit higher. And this is another 2020 phenomenon, which is that we're discussing the popularity patterns of Blink-182's career. We're talking about 2009 Jewel lyrics, and we're talking about Blink-182's career. Uh, but... It is a great example, because I remember that happening. I remember, like, getting Dude Ranch and thinking, oh, you know, this is this is cool. Yeah, I was 12 years old, I guess. I, I was probably 12 years old. And to be fair, you know, time gives you a certain wisdom and uh, security, because, you know, I, I Blink-182, in my opinion, is a way better band than, like, Black Flag or or more obscure punk bands from the late 70s or 80s than early hardcore bands. I'd way rather, I'd, I'd much rather listen to like Damn It than, you know, quote unquote real punk rock or anything like that. Uh, but, but just the point being, you know, it's like sometimes you think, oh, I was on the first wave. Something can be very mainstream. And, and you know, the first album might have been released on a major record label, but because you heard it before their second album came out, which was even bigger, you think you have... There's something uh, proprietary propriet proprietary uh, about it, where it's like you feel this sense of ownership. You feel like it's yours. 
And that's a fun thing. You know, being a treasure hunter is fun. Being a digger, being a hunter, being on the hunt for new things. Because the truth is, is that even if nobody else ever notices this thing that is your jewel, if you saturate yourself with that jewel, it doesn't matter how much oversaturation comes from outside. If you just focus on that thing too much, if you play the same song over and over and over again, eventually you're going to hate it. And then you might need to take a step back and wait a while, and it's good again. You enjoy it again. Uh, but there is that that process that happens where you can make yourself sick of something that you love. And, I mean, that gets into addiction and dependency, too. You know, you can, you can do it with these substances that do that for you. Uh, but there is something, though, to that. There's this insecurity and this, you know, grasping, clutching you know, sense of, uh, I own this. It's mine because I found it first. And it, you know, this obviously parallels that uh, competition episode I did last week where it's just, there's this thing and you see it and you think it's a competition. You think it's this resource and you think it's a limited resource. And despite being, you know, a visual artist, I have no experience with the, the art world. I don't know anything about it. I've never met art collectors. I, I truly know nothing about it firsthand. I only know the most stereotypical cartoon sort of portrayal of what an art collector is. But I do know that exclusivity is an important part. Having the original. Having the original. And at least with visual art, there is an original. There is an original painting that you can own that was the artist's hand touched that thing. They touched every part of that painting. And at least there is a very direct relationship there where there is an original. Um, whereas with music, it's like you're always getting a reproduction of some kind. You know, unless you only collect master tapes, you know, you're always getting some kind of reproduction, so it's a bit different with music. But I don't want to get too hung up on this idea of art and music, even though it's very apparent in those interests, because it could be a restaurant, and you see it with restaurants all the time. There's people who are after the next jewel in the form of restaurants, which is funny because that's such an experience. Going to a restaurant is such an experience, and eating food is such a temporary experience, where no matter how good it is, how long does it take you to eat? You know, even if you drag it out, I mean, I, I eat so fast, it's stupid. You know, I have acid reflux or some, or esophagitis. I was, I was diagnosed with esophagitis, so I'm basically burping all day every day. And the treatments I've pursued haven't worked, so I'm basically burping all the time. And I know one of the reasons, one of the contributors beyond just past lifestyles is that I eat just way too fast. And it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's not that I don't taste it. It's not that I don't take it in. I just don't like sitting there for an extended amount of time. I, I schedule my meals more or less. And I don't like to sit there for an hour taking a bite every two minutes. You know, I just it's difficult for me to do. And, you know, I don't enjoy forcing myself to do it, even though it would be better for me. Eat your food slowly. Uh, I recommend it, but I don't uh, do it. I'll, and you can do that. You can recommend things that you don't do. You're allowed to do that. 
Now, you're allowed to be the cautionary tale of the kid who eats too fast. But, you know, going back to what I was saying, restaurants are this very temporary experience. You're there and you're experiencing the atmosphere of the restaurant and you're enjoying this meal and you love it. It's a, and, and as far as the treasure hunt goes, as far as the digging goes, you find this restaurant, it's a hole in the wall. You've never heard of it. Your friends didn't recommend it to you. You stumbled in there one day on a whim and intuition does play a role in all of this. You know, your intuition will lead you to look in certain places to find jewels. Uh, but, uh, you know, you'll, it'll happen with restaurants where you find this new restaurant and you love it. It's your restaurant. And you might even feel that way. You might even feel like you're holding court when you go there. And you recommend it to people, but not everybody. Because you don't want everybody to know about your place. It's your place. This restaurant is your place. And you, you say things like, I don't know why everybody doesn't think uh, this restaurant is the best restaurant. This is the best. Why doesn't anybody else know about this? You ask questions like that, and they're very self-congratulatory questions because why doesn't everybody like this place? And what that means is, why doesn't everybody you know, have the insight that I have into good food? Why doesn't everybody, why doesn't everybody? And then next thing you know, the place is popular. It gets a write-up. It gets a write-up in the newspaper. That hole-in-the-wall restaurant that you discovered, clearly you built the foundation to that building. You funded it. You're a part owner because you stumbled in that restaurant one day and you like going there once a week and none of your friends have talked about it. You might as well be a part owner, man. And then suddenly it gets a write-up in the newspaper. And word spreads. And now it's a popular joint. Now it's the, the hot place in town. And you go there and you see people you know and everybody's talking about it. And you feel like something has been taken away from you. That hole-in-the-wall restaurant. You might still love the food. You might still like it. But something has been taken away. You're now sharing your jewel. And that's kind of what it comes down to with any of these things. Any of these times where you feel like you found this jewel, you don't understand why other people don't see the beauty of that jewel. And chances are because they don't know about it or it hasn't been shown to them in the right way. Maybe they saw it, but it was, they saw it in a dim light. Whereas when you saw it, the sun was shining and, and it produced this iridescent quality and you could see colors in it that otherwise wouldn't be apparent. And then it just took a, a nice day, and next thing you know, everybody sees it. And you feel like you're now sharing this thing that is yours, and by sharing it, it is a resource that is, you're losing. You're losing your grip on this resource, and it's a competition, and your identity is based around this thing that you found. And I say this all from a place of, my brain works this way. I have that oppositional defiance that kicks in, and I've always felt it. When I find something or I feel like I'm part of an exclusive club and suddenly the doors of that club open up, there's this oppositionally defiant part of me that says, I don't want to be a part of this club anymore. Something feels compromised. I feel like I'm losing something or that I've lost something. I remember an experience about 15 years ago where... There was a, a then-obscure 
metal band who their music had just been reissued on a triple CD box set. And I went online to order it from the only place that had been selling it. And I saw that it was sold out. And it that cheapened it for me. It didn't change my taste in the band. I'm still a fan of this band, but this band. Uh, but something cheapened the experience for me when I saw that it was sold out. Even though all of those people were doing exactly what I did, even though all of those people may have seen the iridescence in this jewel, I can't even remember what iridescence is, but I know that it it's good for jewel talk. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I know what iridescence is. But uh, it was just this thing where it was this moment where I was like, oh, I was all excited to order this reissue of this obscure band from the past. And I saw that, you know, 20 other people had bought the available copies. Who, who knows how many people? It could have been 10 people. It could have been five other people. Who knows how many the the mail order company had in stock, but it sort of cheapened the, the high for me. It brought me down. And I was aware of it, though. And I didn't let it deter me. You know, I, it, I didn't let it take anything away. Uh, but I was very aware of how my high got brought down just from the fact that other people, and it wasn't just that I couldn't order it. It wasn't just that it wasn't available, that it was sold out and I couldn't order it. I was disappointed about that. But there was this other feeling of, oh, this isn't mine alone. Turns out there wasn't one copy of this in the mail order distro waiting for my touch. Turns out there wasn't just one. I remember talking to a friend, more of an acquaintance, many years ago. We're no longer in touch. Hey, Batman, don't bark. Um... Uh, but a, a, an acquaintance of mine, talking to him probably 12 years ago, and he was somebody I knew through experimental music, and we were talking about this. You know, this isn't new to me. This isn't some new epiphany. Hey, Batman, don't bark. Uh, but um, it, this isn't some new... This is going to be a new part of the show, is, you know, man and dog learning to cohabitate. But this acquaintance of mine... All right, I'm going to pick him up. Just one second here. Hey, buddy, come on. This acquaintance of mine, I remember him saying, we were talking about this exact thing, this, this treasure hunting, this pursuit of these niche interests. Yeah, you hear that? Um, but, and he, he said, it never really ends. He said, you know, it never really ends. And I remember it resonated with me enough to remember this all these years later. Uh, it, it resonated enough with me to remember all these years later that it never really ends. You can dig forever. You can hunt forever. And even when you find things, you can't hold on to them. Even when you, you know, this is really distracting and I apologize. I didn't, I, hey, Batman, hey, Batman. Um, haven't figured out the whole barking thing. You know, I, I love having this this guy. He's we just we bonded years ago and we're very close. But it's like this is totally new to me is handling barking, and he's not terrible with it. He, you know, he it's usually prompted by something. 
it's usually prompted by something outside or, or some kind of noise. And I actually appreciate that he does it. And he's looking right at me. So I want him to know I really appreciate you barking. I really do. But I don't want you to do it while I'm talking about Jules. I don't want you to do it while I'm talking about Blink-182 and Jewel. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it never really ends, and it's the truth. You can just go on forever, and you see this with any kind of addiction or dependency, and I'm, I don't even think that you know pursuing art or music or restaurants is necessarily an addiction, but there is a similar sort of... The experience is similar, and I imagine it's the same with sex addicts, you know? Like, I've slept with, like, six people in my life, you know, and, and I'm proud of that. And I imagine, though, that people who just feel the need to just continually, like, go home with people and, and who live that sort of lifestyle, it never really ends for them either. They're always after someone. They're in a constant state of courtship. And, uh, you know, for me personally, I'm, you know, I'm glad that my... I'm glad that my digging and I'm glad that my pursuits have been limited to the realms that they are in. And you can see where every night's a school night is very much that. You know, I pride myself on I pride myself on the fact that every night's a school night is generally obscure. But I like to spice it up with a very famous artist sometimes because it's not about just playing unheard of rare 45s and I don't even own most of them you know I, these are other collectors you know there's stuff that's been played on my podcast that as far as I know I, I've never seen it online there's definitely stuff that gets played on every night to school night and I'm, I'm really puffing my feathers up right now but uh, there's stuff that's been played on my show that there are 45s that I've bought where like nobody's uploaded it nobody's you know put it on a blog uh, and so there is stuff that's, that's, as far as I know, I'm the first person to put it online. Uh, and there's, I have some stuff like that that I'll be playing in the future. But there's also a lot of stuff that I, I, scooped, I scooped from other collectors, you know. So I can't say that I own this stuff. Uh, but uh, obviously a part of the Every Night's a School Night radio show is I want to play a lot of stuff that's kind of, you know, you wouldn't just hear. You, you're not going to hear it if you put on the oldies station. You're not going to hear this stuff if you, uh, if you, even if you listen to, you know, relatively unknown stuff. And, and I mean, there's, and I'm not the only one who mines these fields or these caverns, I guess you could call them. I'm not the only one who, I guess a mine in a field is something else entirely. Uh, you know, there's, there's mines here landmines but but uh, I'm not the only one who who plows these fields you know you know what I mean uh, uh and I can't say that I'm the only one I mean but at the same time I do pride myself to some degree on the fact that you're not going to hear stuff that you'll hear everywhere you're not going to if you throw on like the Spotify oldies I don't even know how Spotify works you can listen to the show on Spotify but I don't know how it works but I assume there's some sort of oldies I don't even know, man. I don't know. Uh, point is, is that I, I do, I have this in me, this need to have my jewels be somewhat unique or 
have my expression be somewhat unique. And even uniqueness itself is a form of this, because that's what we are trying to do when we are searching for the new jewel that nobody else has seen, is it's something that makes us unique. It's something that makes us different. And it's not that we don't like that thing. It's not that that thing doesn't appeal to us, because it comes through a passion that that even makes you want to find that thing. You're not going to keep looking for things if you have no passion. Like, you're not going to keep digging for obscure demos. You're not going to keep digging for obscure 45s. You're not going to keep trying to find hole-in-the-wall restaurants if you don't have a passion for eating or listening to music. And you're not going to, you know, collect paintings. I mean, maybe if you're really rich, that's a thing. But it's for the most part, it's like you're not going to collect art if you don't have some kind of passion for it. Because there's a lot of things out there that you can do this with. There's a lot of things, and some people do them all. I mean, there's people out there where it's it's music, restaurants, art. They're doing it all. They want everything they do. Everything they do is some form of this, and that could easily be me, and maybe it is me. Maybe it is me. Um, but, uh, you know, everything can be a form of this, and there's nothing r- fundamentally wrong with it because I think it is one of those things where when you have a passion, this sort of... This sort of sensibility comes in. When you are truly passionate about something, there is some desire to carve out your own niche, and you do that by finding things that nobody else has found or relatively few people have found, and it just never ends is the problem. And you can easily trick yourself or delude yourself or not see what you're actually doing and not see how you are like everybody else. I think that's the big thing, is that you miss out on the fact that in your pursuit to be unique, in your pursuit to get to the bottom of this niche, you're actually a lot like the people who you're competing against. And in fact, you might as well be the same person. You might as well be the same, you're the same silhouette, you know? Just because your hand is reaching for a jewel doesn't mean there's anything different about you. Just because it's your hand reaching for the jewel doesn't mean your hand is any different from somebody else's hand reaching for the same jewel. You know, you're the same, you might as well be the same person in that moment. And so in this desire to be unique, you can easily become just like other people, just like these people who you see as competitors. And you're going to pout when they get to it first. You're going to pout. You know, I, I wanted it. Oh, it was sold out. The triple CD box set reissue was sold out. I'm going to get a little bit pouty for a minute. And, uh, you know, because we think about materialism as buying the latest TV. And I'm very self-conscious of use of the term materialism because I am a very materially focused person and always have been. And while I may have taken a step back to look at my own material interests, they're still there. And material is great, just like food is great. Just because you have this materially focused, ego-driven interest in finding the new obscure hole-in-the-wall restaurant, and it's not even good enough just to find the -the hole-in-the-wall restaurant, but you've got to find that thing on the menu that uh, nobody else orders. Oh, when I go to this restaurant, nobody else orders the uh, the lamb vindaloo. They always get the chicken tikka masala. I've had people do that to me. 
I've had people do that to me at an Indian restaurant, you know, shame me for ordering the chicken tikka masala because I didn't get the weird thing. I didn't get the weird thing that they like. You know, uh, people will do that. So it's it's not even just finding the restaurant. See, this is what I mean. It never ends. I remember an ex-girlfriend getting mad at me because we would get takeout from the same place like every week. And uh, I would always get the same thing. And I remember it was, she was just bored of me. You know, it was just because she was bored of me. It had nothing to do with what I was ordering. But it, it was a clear sign to me that she was bored with me because like she was, I remember her expressing some kind of disdain because I ordered what I always order. Uh, but but you can really, you know, just it never ends. It's not just the restaurant. It's also the menu. And then some people, they pride themselves on ordering something that's off the menu, the secret menu. And all of this revolves around some sense of secrecy. You like to feel like you're in some sort of secret club that only you or only certain people are allowed to join. You only introduce certain friends to certain music, and if they, if they get into it too, you've lost something. Even if they're your, one of your closest friends, if you share that music with them and they get into it, oh, you've lost something. There's this con- things are just constantly slipping through your fingers, so you need to hold on tighter. You need to hold that jewel tighter. And in fact, you need to hold it so tight that you can't even see it. You need to clench that fist around that jewel so tight that you're not even looking at it anymore. You can't even see the iridescence that attracted you to that jewel because, uh, God forbid, somebody else see it. It's almost like people do this with their relationships, with their girlfriends. Like, I want a really hot girlfriend. I want a hot girlfriend. And then they don't let anybody, but she can't wear makeup when I'm not around. Which are, that's a Weezer lyric. See, I'm got, got Jewel, uh, Blink-182, and Weezer lyrics. But there is a Weezer lyric. Like, when I'm not around, uh, she uh, doesn't... I don't, I don't know the exact words, okay? It's not as easy. It's not as memorable to me as there's a burning bush to my right. Um, but it, it's a, a common... I mean, it's like this idea that it's like, my girlfriend's got to look hot for me. And only me. But yet there's this part of you that's like, well, why doesn't everybody think she's as... I, I'm the only one who sees her true beauty. But when somebody else says something or, or you think somebody else is looking at her, that you start clutching and grasping. And that always gets you what you want. That always gets you what you want. Get you what you want. Closely getting into Beastie Boys lyrics here. We're just, you know... This is a new time for all of us, guys. This is a time for all of us. And that's actually a weird thing, and this is going to take things really far out, and maybe not every listener will understand. But people start to do this. Like, when you get into really obscure, murky realms of interest, there's this thing people do where then they start celebrating really popular stuff. They start to go, like, if you hang out with only people who are into really niche, weird stuff, somebody will try to flip the table by being like, well, you know what? I like Jewel. I like uh, Madonna. Madonna. You know, I like, you know, we might be into this really weird shit. 
you know, you know, we're sitting around and, and, you know, it's a competition to see who can find, you know, the, uh, the best finished death metal demo of a band that never got signed to Peaceville Records. But you know what? I kind of like Madonna. I kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think of a newer example. I kind of like Brittany. I kind of like Bertney Spears, you know. I kind of like Bertney. Um uh but uh Bertney. <laughs> but uh you know, someone will try to kind of turn the tables, you know, cuz that then becomes, you know, it's like see, I, you know, it's just something people do. And they might genuinely like that, but it's like people are constantly trying to turn the tables, they're constantly trying to dig and I think it's just part of being human, and it's okay to do that. It's fun to find things. And if you can find the fun in doing that, that's all you need. If you can find the fun in hunting, you know, if you can find that sort of... And I mean, you even see this story in hunting. You even see this in hunting stories where it's like people searching for mythological beasts. It's not good enough. Or cryptozoology. You know, it's not enough that there are God knows how many animals, and truly God knows because he created them all, uh, but God knows how many animals are out there for you to, you can go and you can see them in the zoo, you can travel places and find these weird animals that you would never see in your own habitat, but that's not good enough. We have to come up with these mythical animals that we are hunting for. We have to look for Moby Dick to use an annoying, obvious example. You know, we have to, you know, we have to come up with these. It's, it's not good enough that there are weird reptiles, you know, in South America that we could take a trip and go see. We have to pretend that there's still a dinosaur alive in Africa and try to find it for a TV show. You know, there's always something more. There's always something more. You always got to look for that next thing, that next high. And uh, it's, it's just something we do. But if you can find the fun in it, if you can find the genuine fun in the hunt, that's fine. It doesn't matter if you're looking for a dinosaur that doesn't exist. Because that's sort of what everybody's doing when they have a passion for a certain interest. They're always kind of looking for that dinosaur that doesn't exist. And they find something that kind of looks like a dinosaur and they get excited. And, uh, and then over time it's like, well, this doesn't really seem like it's a dinosaur anymore. It turns out it's just a bird or an alligator. Uh, but you should be aware of that and realize that, hey, birds and alligators are pretty interesting too. You know, you know. I don't know how you, uh, you know, however you relate to this. I think it's relatable for many people. But there are different types of people too. There are people who are in this pursuit of this unknown jewel, and they want to be the only one who sees the iridescence in that jewel. But there's also people who they want something to be pre-approved by everybody. They want something that has already been filtered through a large group of people because that's how they understand quality. They think, you'll, you'll hear the argument, well, like, uh, you know, a million people can't be wrong. Oh, you're telling me this? my favorite band sucks? Well, uh, a million and 20 people can't be wrong. A platinum record can't be wrong. There's some people who, they like that. They like that... 
it's almost like an introvert extrovert thing although i don't think that it's like a direct translation but it's you know i remember having this realization when i used to go out to bars a lot with friends where when i would find a bar where it was empty it was you know dark there wasn't much going on i would think jackpot you know whether i'm alone or whether i'm with friends you know i can camp out here for the night I can camp out here and, you know, I, I get great service. I don't have to scream at the bartender. I can sit wherever I want. I can hear my friends. And then there, but there's friends I have where if you, if you do that, if you find like some hole in the wall bar where there's nobody, they think, ooh, I'm in the wrong place. And then if you go to a a place that's hopping, like a nightclub-type atmosphere, they think, I'm in the right place because all the people are here. And it could be a park, too, if we want want to get healthy about it. It doesn't have to be a bar. You know, it happens with, like, parks, too. It's like, if if it's a nice day and I've decided to go for a hike and I drive up to a park and I see a bunch of cars in the parking lot, I think, ooh, I fucked up. I chose the wrong place today. And that's not going to deter me from going there because the place is going to be beautiful. But I'm going to be a little... It's going to take my experience down just maybe half a notch. At this point, half a notch, but there were times where it took me down 10 notches. But it's going to take me down half a notch. Each person I see on the trail, I'm going to feel like that notch is just down a hair. Um, down a notch. Down half a notch. Um... Whereas there's other people where they they go to a park and they see a bunch of uh, cars in the parking lot and they think, I'm in the right place. I'm where the people are. I'm in the place that's been approved of. This place has people uh, people approving it. And, I, you know, I, I want to go there. And uh, same for bars. It's the same for everything. It's the same for any interest, any pursuit where it's like, oh. It's the same for even, I mean, to get back to it, like sexual attraction, where there's some people who... Their attraction toward a certain person is based on how that person is perceived by other people. And that's real, you know? And it, you know, it's, it's a, that's a, an episode of its own. But the, even what they perceive, and this isn't some, like, society shaping our views of what's attractive or what's not. You know, this is just something that people naturally do regardless of, you know social standards for beauty or anything like that. People just, they want to know that other people think the person they're with is attractive, but not too attractive. It just gets back to that thing, like, don't wear makeup when you leave the house. You wear makeup for me. Um, it gets into that sort of territory, but it is something that people do, where it's like there's some people where they... Whereas there's people I know, I have friends who, like, their attraction to women is, they like really weird qualities. And no offense to whatever woman, whatever hypothetical woman I'm talking about, but there's some people, where they like a woman, oh, I like a woman with a crooked nose. Oh, my fetish, my thing is a, a crooked nose. I like a crooked nose girl. Some people who get into that because they, they feel like that's like their jewel. That's kind of their thing. They have some like weird micro fetish for some just like you know. I oh I like it when uh, the top the, the top fold of a girl's ear barely goes. I don't know. You know what I mean. People can get really specific about these things. 
And, uh, and some of that is just, it's like a self identity thing, just like all of this other stuff is. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's this pursuit of jewels. It's the pursuit of this resource and it should be fun. It should be fun, you know, and, and I'm the kind of person where it's like, I understand keeping it a secret. I understand it's the secret club that only I'm a part of or, or only select people I know can be a part of. And the more people that join that club, the more people that find this restaurant, the more people that are at the bar tonight, the less likely I am to be myself and enjoy it. Because maybe that's part of it is that you feel like you're not able to express yourself or be yourself to the extent that you would be when something is oversaturated, when there's too many people focused on something. But it's interesting that we're talking about infinite resources here. You know, we're talking about a, a CD, a record, a restaurant. You know, we're talking about things that you can keep going to. And it's never going to run out. You might go one day. It might be sold out. The, the mail-order distro might have sold out of the CD set. But they're going to get it back. You're going to find it somewhere else. You can track it down, especially in the age of the Internet, uh, even if you have to pay a little more. It's the same thing for restaurants. You might have to make a reservation if it gets popular. But it's like we're talking about infinite resources here where you can listen to something as much as you want. You can go to a restaurant order off the secret menu as much as you want, and it's not going to run out. You know, maybe it'll go out of business. You know, I'm not saying things don't end. But for the most part, you're dealing with a resource that isn't going to end, yet there's something about other people paying attention to it, other people showing an interest in it, that makes you doubt it or makes you... It takes some of the fun away from you, and that sucks. And I say that as somebody who has experienced that over and over again in different ways. And not in some self-superior sense. It's just uh, something that happens. It's something to be aware of. And I don't think it's a maturity thing because I see old people do this. I see old people do this. Oh, she, she heard about that from me. That's always one of the ugliest things you can say. Oh, the only reason uh, the only reason he knows that band is because of me. Just so you know, I was first. I won that race. I found that I stared into that jewel longingly before anybody else. But some people are tastemakers. Some people are tastemakers, and tastemakers trendsetters, all of that, often are the people who do this. They often are the people who really dig, who really look for things, and they have a certain taste, a certain intuition that leads them there. Uh, like I have a friend who, if he recommends me a song or music or just anything, as long as it's within my realm of interest, because we don't have everything in common, but if he recommends me something, there is a damn good chance, a high percentage of the time, I will check it out. I might not like it, but because I know what his passions for these interests are, I will look at it. I will listen to it. Whereas there's other people where if they recommend me something, I might only check it out to be nice. 
because I, you know, they, because I kind of know it just, it was something that they just heard about through other people and they don't really understand what my passion is and they think I'll like it because it's kind of like something I talked about once and it's a really nice gesture for them to tell me to check something out. So there's no weird resentment. There's no, Ugh, this this person who cares enough to talk to me sent me something I don't care about. You know, that's a horrible attitude. Uh, but at the same time, there's some people where you're just going to, you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to taste. If they recommend a restaurant, and I, I use that example because that's foreign to me. I don't really care about restaurants. Beyond wanting a restaurant to be quiet, I don't care about restaurants. And that's another thing going on right now where I don't care that the restaurants are closed. I only care because I want people to have jobs and to make money. But beyond that, I personally don't care that I can't go to restaurants right now because I, I feel like an animal alien when I go to restaurants. And I did an episode about that, about my weird restaurant neuroses. Um, but anyway, like, you know, if some there's certain people where if they recommend me a restaurant, I go, oh, I think, oh, that person, yeah, they, they kind of have similar taste to me. Or I, or, or I know that that person has a strong passion for restaurants, and so I'm going to take their recommendation a little more seriously, more than that person who will just kind of go to anywhere, than that person who goes to, like, Applebee's, who says, oh, go check out Olive Garden. You know, you, you know and, and you can rebel against all this shit, too. You're going to... You know, oh, I only go to Mexican restaurants run by Mexican families from this one part of Mexico who cook their tamales a certain way. You know, when you get deep into that niche, niche, you can re niche, you can rebel by being like, yeah, you know what, guys? I'm hanging out with all my foodie friends, and I'm so sick of all of their weird digging and hunting and, you know petty competitiveness when it comes to finding the right restaurant or thing on the menu. So you know what, guys? I'm going to Applebee's. You know what, guys? I'm going to listen to Bertney. I'm going to listen to Bertney and go to Applebee's just to rebel against my weird niche underground restaurant friends. Um, you know, you know, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy for going into all this stuff or thinking about all of this stuff. But it's been fascinating for me, my own journey, my own journey through all this stuff has been interesting for me because I see my own tendencies and I also recognize that it's just how I am. I am the kind of person who likes going into an empty restaurant or bar and just camping out and feeling like this is the right place, partly because I like the place and I can get a drink there, which I don't do anymore, but this is... You know, I can talk about myself from any era of my life. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a point in time, though, where that was my thing. I, I preferred that. Dark and quiet. And, uh, you know, and, and I see where, like, the more people who pour in, you know, as the night progresses, you know, it's going to take something away from me. I know I'm that kind of person. I'm not the kind of person who goes to a bar and it's hopping with people. I'm not the kind of person who walks into a restaurant and goes like, oh, I have to wait? 
and and every table has like eight people at it and they're loud and I have to scream at the waiter to let them know I want chicken tikka masala um chicken tikka madonna uh chicken tikka burtney uh but uh, you know it's like if I go into that place I'm going to be like I want to get the hell out of here I'm not going to enjoy this you know, and I just, I know that that's the kind of person I am. And I, the more that you cut away, you know, parts of yourself, the more that you dissect parts of yourself, you know, the more you realize what's just you. And that's one of those things that I've had to accept is that I am somebody who's a hunter. I like to dig for things. And I don't feel any sense of superiority at this point in my life. I don't feel that I'm some kind of tastemaker. Because I know when I recommend things, people don't check them out. You know, I, that happens to me all the time. I'm not somebody who people immediately just go, oh, uh, he mentioned something to me. I better listen to it. You know, and, but I, I just enjoy the pursuit. I enjoy checking things out. I enjoy my own just little journey finding things. But there is a part of me that gets mad too, you know, and I, I own that. I have to. Uh, there was... You know, Jimmy J, patron saint of every night to school night, you know, there was the Run Wild song. Uh, and when I found that song, I didn't, when I discovered Jimmy J and I found Run Wild, I couldn't find any references to it anywhere. I mean, it was people, collectors had put it online, which was how I found it. So it wasn't like I was the person who unearthed this dirt and moss covered 45 from some uh, ditch in the south you know it wasn't like that was me and it's not even it's on star day records so it's not even a super obscure label or anything but when i found that song i didn't know a single person you know this is like i don't know 10 years ago and maybe not quite that much maybe like nine years ago whenever it was i found it and i didn't know anybody who'd heard it and i introduced friends to it and they loved it i played it on my show that's been one of the songs that people actually continue to bring up to me they're like, Jimmy J. Run Wild. And a few years ago, a friend of mine emailed me, and he sent me this cover. It was a YouTube video of a girl, like like one of those, you know, modern sort of, uh, I don't even know how to describe them. Just like a modern girl, artsy girl, doing a cover of Jimmy J. Run Wild. And my reaction was visceral. I just thought, Fuck. You know, first of all, it didn't sound good. That's the just the basic. That's the basic reaction is that this sucks. The the actual what I'm hearing takes everything that was good about this song, which is Jimmy J's voice, the production, the the way the the piano sounds, you know, it's and it takes everything away from that and it turns it into this shitty hollow version of this thing that I love. And so, you know, that's, that's real. You can't take that away from yourself. You can't, you know, there's no reason to flagellate yourself. There's no reason to, like, whip yourself because you think something sucks because it took, it basically gutted something and then wore it as a shell. It's like, it's like, oh, this gutted this thing that I loved and it put its fur around itself and it's pretending to be that thing. And, uh... You know, and that's, you know, that's completely fine. But at the same time, it's like, I can't get mad at this. I can't get mad that some girl found Jimmy J run wild and she's 
doing a shitty cover of it. I can't be mad at that. I can't feel like something was taken away from me. I can't feel like something was taken away from me. And she saw the iridescence in the Jimmy J. Jewel too. Otherwise, she wouldn't have covered it. It's just that uh, that's a whole other thing. Is She took ownership of it. She probably felt like she had stumbled on something and thought, I'm not just going to be a fan of this jewel. I'm going to incorporate this jewel into my shtick. And that sort of bothers me. You know, it shouldn't, but it kind of does. It kind of bothers me when someone is like, I'm going to appropriate this. Even though I don't have a problem with appropriation. Even though I think the idea of cultural appropriation is a joke. In most cases. Um, I still, there's a part of me that doesn't like when someone appropriates something. When they're like, I'm going to take this and uh, work it into my act. Even though she's saying it's a cover and everything. It's just, uh, but yeah, this friend emailed it to me. And it was a good exercise because I was at a point where I knew that I couldn't let myself get mad, but I also was a little mad. And so it was a good exercise. And it sounds petty. It sounds silly. It's it's kind of a, a luxury to be able to respond to things that way, although we all do it. No matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's happening, we all have our little petty things that aren't life and death, but we have an opinion. We have a reaction. Um, but I did have this sense where I was like, Jimmy J's mine, even though he's not, even though I found him through somebody else's collection, you know, and, and if, if it comes down to it, I can go, you know, listen to episode, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what episode it is, but it was in the first wave of every night to school night, I'd be able to tell you, oh, I'll go listen to this episode where I, I went on about Jimmy J and, and played his song three times in a row. Uh, you can, there's a timestamp that proves that I found the jewel before you did. And you just can't let yourself get caught up in that because it never ends. And that person, that acquaintance that I was talking about who said that, it stood out to me too because he kind of gave it all up. You know, I'm not in touch with him anymore, but we have a mutual friend and I hear about him. And he became a firefighter. And he has a, a family like white picket fence lifestyle. He was involved in all this weird shit, this weird, dark, experimental, niche, outsider stuff. And he gave it all up to become a firefighter with kids and a family. And I respect that. You know, because even though that's a form of oh, you know, uh, we're all into this weird, you know, 90s Finnish death metal demos, but have you ever heard of Bertney Spires? You know, it's like, it's it's a form of that. You know, it is a form of that to be like, you know what, I'm going to quit all this and just become a firefighter. And I, I don't know what is, I'm not pretending to read into it, but it's like you can see everything as a form of rebellion. You can see everything as a form of some sort of rebellion because... That's what motivates us. As much as we are motivated by examples, we are also motivated... As much as our examples are based on things that we aspire toward, we also have a lot of examples of things we don't want to be. There's a reason why cautionary tales can be effective, because it's like, here's something you don't want to be. 
And so you can rebel against, you know, this cautionary tale. You can rebel against something, but in rebelling, you actually become more normal. By rebelling, you start talking about Jewel lyrics or Blink-182 albums or Weezer. You know, by rebelling, you can uh, go in that direction, too. And this discussion might not be relevant to somebody who just grew up in a time and place where they were just happy to have whatever was available to them. They were happy to go to Applebee's. They were happy to go to Sam Goody. They weren't uh, spoiled at all. You know, to somebody like that, this, this might just be weird shit that they never had reason to think about. But I know a lot of people like this, and they're not all from the same camp. And you can find this, these forms of thinking everywhere. And I think what I, I know, just to get back to like a bigger point, like I want to continue to dig for things when I feel like it because I enjoy the process and it's fun. And I don't want to feel threatened by anybody else. I don't want to feel like it's a competition because I know that I can get something out of this. And whether, whether, whether I have a vantage point you know, where only I can see the iridescence or whatever else, you know, it doesn't even matter because it's like, I want to enjoy that process and find things that are meaningful to me. And I don't want to feel like I'm clutching something. I don't want to feel like I'm going to lose this jewel if I let anybody else see it. It gets into this weird Lord of the Rings. I don't want to be Smeagol. And I also don't want to be a dwarf who's just constantly looking for the next jewel all the time. I want jewels to find me naturally. You know, and sometimes you got to look, but it's like it's it's fun when something just washes up on the shore and you just happen to be at the right place at the right time to find it. Um and you know, nobody wants to be Smeagol, although I've felt like that. And I I've seen friends behave like Smeagol where they're just clutching this jewel. They're clutching this ring, and everybody and they like everybody's after it. They they start operating in that mindset where it's like this. I don't know. It's almost like a feast or famine thing too. But it all revolves around this obscure jewel that you can't even eat. Um. But you do become that sort of smeagol or golem where where you're uh, just you're clutching this. And whispering, and you might as well be talking to yourself because you feel like you can't share it with anybody. Because if you share it with somebody, they're taking something from you. And I never want to feel that way. I never want to feel that way again. And it can even be just your philosophy or your beliefs people get this way. Where it's like people will believe certain things. They will take on certain philosophies, certain practices, certain disciplines. They will read certain books and try to adopt a belief system that only they have. And I think the occult is filled with that. Esotericism is, is, is just saturated in that, of people thinking, I've got to keep this secret. And there is something, there is value to keeping things secret. There is, something does lose something, or, or energy does escape from something when it's overexposed. And I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I, I come from that place. It's one of the reasons why I come from a place where I do have to not be Gollum. Because I do recognize that something does get lost when something is overexposed. 
if nothing else, my own comfort. You know, I don't know that something that the actual object loses anything, but I get more uncomfortable. I get, I get it just makes me weird. Uh, and but it, it goes for belief systems too. And I kind of tried to take that route, you know, where here I went a whole episode without getting spiritual, but you know, early in my life when I was a teenager and I started to realize that when I was 19, let's say, that's just a good point to reference. You know, that was around the time that I was like, okay, there's something going on and I'm kind of developing a, I'm trying to interpret it. I don't know what I believe, but I'm trying to interpret something that's happening to me and not to me alone because it involves the entire nature of existence. And I, but at that point in time, I was insecure still probably am, but I was, you know, was much more insecure about things. I was much more of a golem. I was much more of a, a jewel clutcher. And I remember thinking, you know, uh, I got to keep this stuff kind of secret. And it wasn't just because I was afraid that it would lose potency or lose energy. It was also because I wanted to feel like I had this unique belief system that only I had or only like a couple other people I knew had. And I wanted, you know, it's like my symbols have got to be my own. My way of understanding this universal phenomenon has got to be my own. And there's some value to that. And I think it's good to maybe start out there. Maybe it's good to start out from somewhat of a, a self-centered place and work outward rather than starting from, you know, the edge and working inward. I don't know. I think it, it, it is different for different people. But I used to have this attitude about entire belief systems and entire philosophies. And while I never got into orthodox occultism, I was always attracted to esoteric and occult subject matter. And... I, uh, at some point in the last few years, I just realized that I didn't need to, to keep this stuff in the shadows and that certain other belief systems that I sort of took for granted because I only saw them in the most, uh, I only saw their most generic forms, you know, and it could be like Buddhism, it could be Christianity, it could be these other things that I didn't dismiss. It wasn't like I was opposed to these things ever. Uh, despite my background in the dark arts and all this stuff, I, I've never been anti-Christian. And I've always been open-minded toward Christian philosophy and God, even if I didn't feel it, even if it wasn't something that was a part of my life at that time. Uh, so it wasn't like I rejected these things, but I didn't want them to be a part of my philosophy because my philosophy is mine. And uh, over the years, though, it's like I, the way I feel about spiritual practices and spiritual beliefs where if it's effective, if it works, if it makes some amount of sense, the more the merrier. And all the stuff that I talk about that's philosophical or spiritual on this show, the more people I feel that take this stuff to heart, and they don't have to take, take it to heart in the exact same way I do. I'm a cult of one. This is a one-man cult. Nobody else is allowed to join. How's that for secrecy? How's that for clutching onto a jewel? This is my cult and nobody else can join. It's only me. But 
you know, it, I, the way I feel about these belief systems is the more the merrier. Propagation. The more people who have a healthy relationship with life and death and the nature of the universe in whatever small way we have of understanding and interpreting it, the more the merrier. It doesn't have to be a secret club. It doesn't have to be ritualized in a certain way. I'm not looking to develop some private orthodoxy. You know, who am I to ever... You know, in, in the same way that I don't... I wouldn't recommend anybody take the route I've taken or take on the beliefs that I have in the exact same way that I've taken them on... I'm also not opposed to people coming to similar conclusions. I don't feel like anything would be taken away from me if somebody makes <clears throat> the exact same philosophical conclusion that I've made about something. Because I didn't even come up with it completely independently. You know, everything responds to everything else. Everything has a relationship to everything else. Back to Indra's net, every jewel is reflected in every other jewel. So who would I be you know, to, who would I be to say like, oh, the thing that's reflecting on my jewel can't possibly reflect on anybody else's? Who would I be to say that? You know, I wouldn't be where I feel that I'm at right now if I had that attitude. And the more that people open themselves, the more they'll realize that, you know, they themselves are the jewel. And that's so, they themselves are jewel. See, Batman didn't like that. He didn't like that idea. Unfortunately, I'm coming to a close here. But, uh, you know, the realization that you end up with, at least on the path that I've taken, is that, oh, you're a jewel. You are jewel. You're the singer-songwriter jewel. She is a jewel. I'm a jewel. And every other jewel is reflected in you and on you, whatever, you know. You're iridescent. And it might be fun for you to pursue these microscopic jewels, this restaurant, this music, this belief, whatever it is, this girl, uh, you know, not to, not, not to, I feel like I've gotten on this weird thing where I'm, I'm using women as this weird example of like a treasure. And it's more, it's not because I see women that way. How's this for a disclaimer? But people do see, women see men the same way too. They see them as this thing. That they and, and no matter how much they love them, there is this sort of, you know, I've got to grasp this thing. Um, but no matter what it is you're after, you know, recognizing that you yourself are a jewel, and even if you don't get these other jewels, even if you don't dig or hunt for these other jewels that you think define you, you are still a jewel yourself. And whether you have any interests at all, whether you're a, um, whether you're comatose, whether you have any passions at all for the arts, for food, for restaurants, you are still a jewel. And I think that's why people, sort of what leads people toward the monastery, you know, where it's like, I'm going to let go of all these other things. You know, you think about someone like Krishna Das, who, he was the original singer for Blue Oyster Cult before they recorded anything, when they were just kids, I guess. Krishnadas was the original singer for Blue Oyster Cult. He quit, and he went to India and did what he did, and everybody knows who he is now. But he was the original singer for Blue Oyster Cult. And I've never read any interviews or looked into anything that explains, you know, what led him to quit the band. But 
he was the first singer of a promising band, and he quit to pursue a spiritual lifestyle, and he found music again in a more roundabout way. But that's a very interesting story to me, and I have to wonder, what was it about rock and roll? What was it about being part of Blue Oyster Cult that contributed to his decision? What was it about, what was going on that led him to drop it all and pursue something else? It's relatable to me in a certain way, where I feel like I kind of was part of something for a lot longer than that. You know, I was part of some things for a lot longer than that. I had certain interests for a lot longer than just, like, however long, you know, someone like that might have been involved in Blue Oyster Cult. And not, not that I'm comparing myself to that guy, but, like, I'm just saying it's like there was this niche identity I had for myself, and... Part of my path has been trying to get away from that because I realized that it wasn't, not only was it not fulfilling and it was a never-ending tunnel, and there was a lot of good to it. There is a lot of good to it. I'm still, in many ways, I'm still this thing. I can't escape who I am, you know, in the same way that I can't escape the way I respond to certain things, in the same way that I can't escape the fact that I don't like that this girl did a shitty cover of Jimmy J. I can't escape that I feel that way, and I, it's fine. But in so many ways, you know, there is this need to escape these things because you realize that you're consumed by them. You realize that it never ends. You realize that you're always after something. And you recognize that you are the something. You are the jewel. And you focus on the fact that you just have that. Because, because you are a jewel, because you are jewel, because you're Blink-182, because you're Brit Burtney, because you're Madonna, uh, because you're a plate of, a bowl of chicken tikka Madonna, um, you recognize that, though, where you're like, you know, I, I am the thing that I was after all along, but I had to detach from all of my pursuits and probably unsuccessfully detach, but still, I had to make an attempt to detach. I had to step away in order to understand that I was the jewel that I was after all along. And even if I don't take another breath, even if I don't find another external jewel to clutch onto, I still have the jewel that is life. I still have the jewel that is coming from nothingness and coming to be and having thoughts and having experiences and seeing things and hearing things and then taking the time to not see and not hear things and sit silently sometimes. And through all of that, I recognize that I am still a jewel. Everybody I know is still a jewel. Everything I come into contact with is a jewel. And we all have a relationship. And what more could you want than that? This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills 
and plains I see a land where children can run free so take 